I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's beautiful episode, I got to have my friend, Miss Michelle Paradise, on the show. Uh, Michelle is a wellness expert with Mr. Deepak Chopra. She is an international speaker, and uh, she is a therapist here in Beverly Hills, Los Angeles. People can actually come and see her, which is beautiful. Um, she uses NLP, neurolinguistic programming, um, a technique that probably most of you have not heard of that we get into a bit here called the Havening Technique that's quite interesting. I've done a session with Michelle, and it was quite beautiful. I was in tears and um, felt felt really special. So I hope you guys enjoy checking her out in this conversation we get into body language uh, actionable tips on better communication better listening and uh, just what it means to communicate in the first place sometimes i think we get consumed by our words turns out as you will hear in this words are about seven percent of our communication uh here's a little clip from the conversation our ancestors in the 14th century what we deal with in one day information intake i'll call it overload they had that level of information, one 24-hour cycle in the whole of their life. Thank you so much for tuning into the website, aligntherapy.com. If you guys feel drawn to that, you can get the show notes on this and all the rest of the episodes. And uh, as well, you can start the five-day movement challenge. Start integrating better movement practices into 100% of your life. I have a quote from Mr. Richard Bandler. He was uh, the, one of the one of the godfathers of uh, neuro-linguistic programming. Um, quotes goes like this. I'm going to read two back to back here. All right. The great this personal limitation is to be found not in the things you want to do and can't, but in the things you've never considered doing. The greatest personal limitation is to be found not in the things you want to do and can't, but in the things you've never considered doing. How do we know what we don't know? Ding dong, ding dong. The other one, really quick one. If you can't enjoy what you have, you can't enjoy more of it. Bam! Reading a book right now called The Soul of Money. Pretty fascinating. And one of the big takeaways I'm getting out of that guy is refocusing on what you already have in your life, appreciating that to allow it to grow. Too often we are so focused on the shit that we don't have that uh, we forget the stuff that we already do. And then the roots never, never take and we live a life of wanting and then we die. Sorry about that. I hope that wasn't too morbid. Um, thank you guys so much for leaving reviews on iTunes. I'm just going to go in here and pull one up here. Um, this review comes from Miss... Sorry, I'm pulling it up. I should have been more pre- prepared for this. Uh, we're going to read one from E. Reinhardt, 93. Uh, she says, great interviewer, five stars. Um, I never hear that. I can tell by Aaron's humbleness that he is open to learning and well-informed. His interviews with Jack Cruz will turn your world upside down and completely change the way you look at living a healthy lifestyle hands down mic drop in quotations thank you so much for that e reinhardt send me a message on the instagrams at align podcast and we will get you out some four sigmatic not four sigmatic sorry on it <laughs> uh if you want four sigmatic we can do that too all right thank you guys for tuning in here we go back to the episode with miss michelle paradise 
podcast. Sounds good. But it blows my mind. I went to Parliament. I'm just trying to trying to preface that I'm a world traveler before getting into I'm anything. Impressed. Very important, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, but when I was out there, this just specifically stands out because we're, you know, I'm looking at all these world leaders. They're like making the decisions that it change, whatever it is that they change. And everyone sits like shit. Like there's not a single person in the room that's not sitting like they just lost the biggest game of their life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really interesting how, so I try and, I try my damnedest to try and like, put my body in a position that like, makes me feel good. You know what I'm saying? That is, and I sh- I'm sure you know this because of the work you do, but that is um, so important to one state, yeah. is their posture mm. and what they're doing with their body. And we don't, we usually do it the other way around, as I'm sure you know, we don't think about it first. It's something we may think about after when we're sitting there all crumpled up and wondering why we feel bad. Yeah. But you literally can walk into a room and change your posture and change your state and change the message that you're giving to the people, mm. which I'm sure doesn't surprise you. That's what you do. Thankfully, yeah. It but shouldn't it surprise anybody is the it thing. Does. That's the crazy part. It does. It's that mind-body connection that people forget about. Mm. And they go all inside their mind and start catastrophizing and what if, what if, what if. and. If they take a moment to wake up, come out of that hypnotic loop and look at themselves and see what a crumpled bag of whatever potatoes they are. Yeah. And they start thinking about it and they change the way they're sitting and standing and walking into a room, it changes all the vibe. So how so how do we what are some like some takeaways for people if they're sitting in their car right now, maybe sitting in a crumpled ruffle? potato chip position or if they are is that relevant maybe it doesn't matter it's very relevant because you change your physiology you change your mental state Hmm. we are biochemical beings right so we we're reacting all the time to our to our environment and what people are saying to us and what we're thinking and we're we're quite cerebral i believe I, i that's what i that's how i perceive it in that we are all up inside of our heads most of the time. Mm. Not a person like you, but I'm talking about, I see a lot of clients, too, I promise. right? And yeah. I see how fetal position is one of the most popular and they don't even realize that they're sitting there all sort of inwardly and tight shoulders. It's called um, kyphosis, right? When your shoulders are rounded and you're going very internal. Yeah. And that usually represents what they're thinking or how they're thinking. So the, a quick takeaway tip would change what you're thinking about. Literally change what you're thinking about. Hmm. Look up. It's one of my favorite expressions. Remember to look up. Because be, people walk down the street or walk into a room and they tend to look down more. And even the, the words, if you listen to the linguistics of that, are negative. Looking down, right? So they look down and they're looking at their shoes or their feet or the floor. When the world is really up by their eye level and perhaps above. You know, that's that's where they're gonna connect with people and their environment. So I always say to people, remember to look up. And I mean that literally and metaphorically. Mm. There's a fellow, what's the, what's the, the fellow's name? Is Guillermo something. He's got an interesting name, it starts with a G, but he did back in the 60s, Harvard, Stanford, somewhere smart, came up with some numbers, 55% of our communication is via body language. Albert Morabian. Morabian. Professor Albert. I quote yeah, what him did I all say? the time. I said Morami. No, no, you I, I said, said um, Guillermo. Guillermo, yeah. That wasn't even close. He did a study 
Or you want to finish that thought? You can finish this, that thought. This is about me right now. Okay. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> no, I really want to know. Could you, cause, so you're already familiar with that. I, I quote him all the time. Yeah. It's one of my big pieces that I use. I, I teach people about being better presenters, and I always use this. Um, he did a study in the 1970s, late 70s, Professor Albert Moravian, if anyone wants to look him up, and it's a pie chart, and 55% of our communication, because th what he did, sorry, I'll back up for a minute, what he did is he dissected communication. What does it look like? What, what is the best, most rich form of communication? And he found out through his research that 55% of how we communicate is physiologically. So that, that ties into what I'm saying. That's why I always quote him, because it's how you walk into the room says everything. You know, what, in the second one is 38% is tonality. You said physiologically. Do you mean physically? Or what physiologically. is physiologically? So, what does that mean? You know, what you're doing with your body, what your skin tone, your breathing, all of that. All of those oh, components. So body language. When I, when I read into that, you, what you're saying is way better. When I, when I just, I just kind of left it at body language, like position of my elbow. No, this is But deeper. we're looking at, at yep. face, like elasticity of skin Absolutely. and tonicity and all that. Is the person blushing? That's good. Are they breathing shallowly at the top of their chest, at the top of their lungs, you know? That's a lot of information there. Oh, that's good. So the third piece, which always surprises people, so now we've got 55, right, percent is physiology, how they look, how they're breathing, what their skin tone is like. Uh, second bit is tonality, which is 38%, and 7% are the words and I think that's shocking mm. to some people because they think, oh, are my words? That's all the meaning, all the communication are in my words. But they're not. Because to give you an example, to flip it around, when I work with a client, I will listen to what he or she is saying to me, but I'm calibrating them physiologically because the body doesn't lie. Mm. So if they're suddenly getting white, uh, whiter or pinker or shallow breathing, sweaty palms, doing things with their body, you know, crumpling in things. It's all, it's giving me information. I wonder how that changes when you're on the phone. Does it go to like, I guess then it's like tonality. All you've got 60%, is. 60% words 40 maybe? You've I don't got know. 45% of the communication. So you've got 38% tonality and 7% words. So that's 45%. So you're missing the other 55%. And I'll tell you huh. where this is really important. Oh, that's interesting. It's texting, which yeah. I hate. Because you've got 7% of 100% of communication going on. And if you put a comma in a different place or don't put a comma in a place, it can change the whole meaning of the communication. Can it? That's really cool. You're blowing my mind. Because I, mean, I, I quote this stuff all the time. Ooh, and I haven't thought about it in that. Like you're missing 55% of the communication upon not being in the room with somebody. And that's, really, that's brand new to us as well. I know. You know, I, know. I guess at some point they were like riding a horse across to send a letter or whatever, but mm. this whole communication thing, it's a brand new phenomenon. I wonder how that affects people at a physiological level, at an emotional level, at a... A lot. <laughs> a lot negatively. I mean, because, you know, I, I'm sure we can both say we've been in a situation where we've read a text message and we interpreted it to mean something that we later found out it didn't mean. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Or maybe you've overreacted to it or underreacted to it. Well, I know people who do. They, they analyze the text, especially if they're in a new relationship. They're like, what does that mean? Yeah. What did he mean? And that's because 93% of the communication that would enrich that message is not there. Mm. 
That's really good. So is there any types of, so some of like the NLP, neurolinguistic programming, mm -hmm. which is a really terrible name. It's a terrible name. Isn't we should do something about that. What do we change it to? What would you change it to? What's a better name? <clears throat> Supreme communication. <laughs> Supreme communication. Absolutely. I like that. That's what I do as a living. I'm a, I'm a, you're the supreme, supreme communicator. master communicator. Yes. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I like that. I uh, do my best to be. It's it's a journey. Okay. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. So uh, so some of the can we break down some of the basic fundamentals for that? I, I th this morning I listened to some of the cliff notes on uh, a couple different NLP books. Okay. Just to sharpen up a little bit. Oh. Um, I forget all of them I'm already. <laughs> well, I haven't said any of them, and the most of them are gone. Bring it on. Yeah. But um, are there some like basic fundamental principles that we could so maybe say something like like a like a pacing with somebody mm -hmm. you know or like a was it mimicking or mirroring yeah. whatever it is you know pacing and leading yeah. yeah so pacing leading is a really good one let's say you're in a meeting with somebody and you want to so now some people just before i say this some people say oh that sounds very manipulative but it's not it's about getting your point across communicating with a person getting going in with an intention and achieving that intention. So let's say you're in the room with another person and you're having this rather important meeting, maybe it's a negotiation or something, and uh, you want to get them to, and again, I'm going to sidebar here, the brain loves familiarity. So we're always looking for familiarity because we have an off mic. We said this earlier, which we can talk about now. I think you said the brain is only meant to deal with 128 bits. Is that what I you said? said 120 bits? I had 120, but I think 128 might be right. right. So we need to delete, distort, and generalize NLP term in order to function in our world, because otherwise we'd be overwhelmed. I did a I did a research for an article and recently, and it was the t statistics were something like our ancestors in the 14th century. What we deal with in one day, information intake, I'll call it overload. They had that level of information, one 24-hour cycle, in the whole of their life. Okay, so doesn't that really bring it home? My eyes just went cross-eyed. <laughs> How much we are beginning, you did. Okay, I'll, I'll so, that was a real, that was a real physiological yeah. thing that happened. See, you didn't say a word, no. and I knew immediately what you were saying. <laughs> So it works. It hurt when you said that. I didn't know how to process. It, it does. It, it's sort of my brain hurts when I think about what we're being, you know, what we're being confronted with, all the information we get. So we delete, we distort, we generalize, and we look for familiarity because it just makes it a lot easier. And that's why if you hear, you hear familiarity, the, the root word is familial, family. Mm. So we tend to um, bounce from that spot in our lives, that base of knowing our family, living with our family, even if it's not good. And we then tend to build our friendship group based on some of that and our beliefs and our values. Those mm. are all the bits that, we're, that we incorporate when we're meeting somebody. And uh, we look for patterns because it's easier. So if they're, they're similar to us, if we're quite similar in the way we think or our values or beliefs, we tend to befriend that person hmm. initially. And then there's like a checklist that we um, unconsciously go through as we're knowing somebody, oh, they did that. When this is not spoken or even written down, it's just, oh, they did that. Um, maybe, mm, maybe I don't want to spend that much time around them. Or they did that, oh, I, they're amazing. I want to spend more time around them. I'm yeah. simplifying this. So going back to the meeting, you have these two people sitting there and let's say you are person A and I'm person B and you've come into the meeting and you want to get a result 
that you want. So you could pace me. So that means waking up from your hypnotic state because we're all pretty much walking around in form, forms of hypnosis um, most of the day. And calibrating that person, looking at them, noticing how are they breathing, uh, what are they doing with their hands, are their legs crossed, all that. And that's when you can bring in mirror, mirroring and matching. So mirroring would be um, the sort of mimicking them in reverse or modeling them. That's the word we use in NLP. It pisses modeling. people off if you do the inverse of that. Yeah, well, I've, I've read. Not slash, a, that's, a, that's a generalization, okay? Of <laughs> what pisses people off is when they figure out what you're doing, right, okay? Right. So you, it's all covert and subtle, mm. very subtle. If you start giving yourself away, then you need to work on that one a little bit more. But you, so what you do is you match, you're matching them, uh, their breathing, literally their breathing, the way they talk quickly, if they talk very quickly. And then when you're, when you're completely matched up with them and you feel like you are um, being received by them, so what they begin to do is they start, it happened to me yesterday, I was sitting with a woman and she began to, I would uncross my leg to see what she would do and then she began to follow me, mm -hmm. okay? So that's when you know you've paced them but now you can lead them. And what you wanna do, depending on the situation, but you might want to lead them to be more open-minded or more open-bodied as they're sitting there. So you might change your posture to be much more open, and then they will model that. This is all happening on an unconscious level, mm. okay? So they might model that. So now you've got them to open their body up, and that is going to open their mind up because we are these body-mind connected people, right? Yeah, yeah. What do you notice in our dynamic? Since we're talking about it now, that as you're saying it, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of seeing thing, and I kind of cross my legs a little bit. Well, which if people could see us, we're we're modeling each other, aren't we? From the beginning, we're, yeah. We're, we're which in is that very group courteous together. of you, which is kind of rude of me, actually. I brought you into, into you know, my home. Mm -hmm. I it might have been, but it, you seem quite comfortable in that position. Oh, yeah. 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 And so it worked out. But if you were uncomfortable in that position, it would be my on me to make sure that you find a position that's really comfortable, so that we can attune to each other and communicate. That's if another I way of force you it. into my box, and that's not yeah. comfortable. Right. So you. What you're doing is you're t testing all the time. So you might move one part of your body if we're really getting into the detail of this. And if the other person doesn't follow you, then they're not ready. So don't go there. So mm -hmm. you, what I mean, so it's a trust thing. It's These are all happening on an unconscious level because that's where all the behavior lives anyway. That's yeah. where our behavior lives. And then when we want to change something, we can sit and intellectualize about it for, for months or years, but it doesn't usually change it quickly. We've got to get into where the behavior is, which is in the... Some people say the subconscious, I say the unconscious. Mm. And that's very NLP, because NLP is, uh, a major part of NLP is hypnosis, hypnotic language. Um, so you'll have something called, not to confuse your listeners too much, but something called a meta-model, which is when you're gathering the information, I call it my archeological dig. So I'm getting information from the client without being too obvious. Um, and I won't ask why questions, because if you ask a why question, you usually get because, and because is usually an excuse. I don't want excuses. Mm. So I'm asking them really specific questions. And as soon as I start saying this, there's layers and layers of it. You watch IXSing cues, what they're doing with their body. And then the other side of it, the inversion of that, is the Milton model, um, named after a Milton Erickson, who at the time was, allegedly, I wasn't there, he was, the, the most successful hypnotist, and Dr. Bandler, Dr. Richard Bandler, and John Grinder, who are the co-creators of NLP, modeled him. And they literally sat at his feet watching him 
um, have sessions with people. And his hypnosis was all language, basically just hypnotic language. He didn't say, oh, now count to 10 or count to 100 and close your eyes or look at this pendulum swinging back and forth. He didn't do any of that. He did storytelling and metaphors, lots of metaphors, because we, we are more likely to um, be on board with a concept if it's not about us. So if you tell a story about somebody else, metaphorically, you, you know, so, but it's got the message in it for the person that you're sitting in front of, that's a really clever way of getting people on board. Because hmm. it's like, well, if I were Johnny, so let's say it's a story about Johnny or Jim or whoever, but you're telling them the story specifically for them to get the message, um, they would maybe sit and go, oh, Johnny, he did that. Maybe I wouldn't do that. I would probably do it a different way. I would choose to do that. So you get people to look outside of their box if they're in one. I'm not. You're not either. But uh, look outside of their comfort zone. You don't think we're in a box? Well, we are in a house, so I guess that's a box. I feel like I'm surely in a box. Are you? I think that surprises so. Me. Well, <laughs> if I look... What is your box like? If I look through... Uh, it's filled with glitter and rainbows. Oh, that's no. okay. <laughs> Some people's boxes are really it's awful. It's a colorful box. <laughs> no, so I, I mean, so this is something that I, I've noticed, especially even like listening to the podcast. Everyone listening, I apologize for any episodes more than six months ago because I hate them all. You know, I think they, the guests were fantastic, but I'm an asshole. You know, okay. and I'm like, oh, there's two, like... It's called growth. Right. You know, but it's... I, Evolving. I feel... But, but this, so that's the thing is, is so just judging throughout history, I look at the previous version from pretty much around six months is around the time that I'm like, oh, okay, you didn't really, you didn't really get it, mm-hmm. you know? And so I'm like, well, I have to be in a box right now. That's one way of looking at it. I don't see you in a box. I, okay. I, I really don't see that at all. But, but that's, a, that's another NLP thing. It's all about perspective because... I'm sure your listeners realize we're sitting in the same room. So we're sitting in the same room at the moment with the same environment around us, uh, but it's a shared reality, isn't it? Because you're coming into this space from a completely different perspective than I am. Your upbringing, your family life, your childhood, your socioeconomic situation, we're all coming from, and that's, that's the real disconnect in communication is when we all sit thinking that we're in the same space and we're having the same experience and therefore it has the same meaning to us and it mm. doesn't. Something I notice with uh, doing interviews with people, I can't stand doing uh, internet interviews. Yep. I can't, I'm like, oh, and it's because of, you know, some of you can do video, but it's still, it's, and I think what it is, is it's, you can't attune or converge with someone else's box or whatever, whatever yeah. semantics, you know, it's like, but it's, it's when you're in that same space with each other, all of a sudden, physiologically, you have to attune with each other. Yes. And as we know, and I firmly believe this, that everything is, is energy. I mean, even the solid things in this room are compressed atoms. Everything is energy. And you remove that possibility when you are not physically in the room with someone, mm. which is, I, see, I, not to get on my soapbox about the internet, but I love and hate it. I think it's yeah. amazing what information it gives us. But I deal with clients every day and the loneliness out there is palpable. It is so, we're so deep into loneliness. Mm. And loneliness has such negative effects on people. You know, it can can lead to addictions and obsessions and, you know, on and on and on. I I don't want to anchor any of those things on this. But it's, 
the, lo the level of loneliness is like I've never seen. Because we, so many people, not all of us, but so many people think they are having relationships, but they're virtual relationships. And now with internet dating, which I know has been around for a while, but it's now become technologically amazing. You can just swipe your finger one way or the other. And we live in this very disposable society. Yeah. And people have become disposable. And that is heartbreaking. You don't want to anchor that in I this don't. conversation. That's another NLP term, meaning yeah. that I can, if I say it, it puts that idea in somebody's head and then um, they will go away thinking about that a little bit too much and mm. I could anchor it for them. I don't want to do it. So I want to keep away from the negatives when I'm talking. Because remember, it's neuro, the mind, linguistic language programming which you're right is a terrible name. Um, we, what I lovingly call it is um, retraining your brain. Yeah. For, you know, for a better version of yourself. It's not, like any methodology, some people think NLP is manipulative, but it's not, it's how you use it. And I think just about any methodology out there, we could find the dark side of it and use it for purposes like that. But that's not necessarily, that's not how this was created for sure. Yeah. This was created to get, I, I've, I've studied, I've done all my training with Dr. Richard Bandler and I assisted him for 10 years. And one thing I will never forget, he says at every training, I'm teaching you how to think on purpose. Or even I'm teaching you how to think. That's enough. But he says, I t I'm teaching you how to think, think on purpose. Because we don't. And I'm a hypnotherapist. Um, and when I say this to some people, they go, they shudder, like, oh, I, I can't be hypnotized. She'll never hypnotize me. And then I burst their bubble by telling them that they're in and out of states of hypnosis all day long. I mean, have you ever been watching a, maybe a film or reading a book or whatever, and somebody's called your name two or three times and you didn't hear it the first two or three times, or you didn't hear it the first two times? And they go, Aaron, I've been calling your name. And you, but you're in, you're in a hypnotic loop at that point. You're, and all it means, all hypnosis means, is the removal of all other foci. So you're just focused on one thing. Mm. And people experience this daily when they're driving a car, especially on the freeway. You know, they get into this hypnotic loop. Because what, what is quite astonishing, using that as an example, we do about 40 plus things every time we drive a car, you know, with the mirrors and the pedals and the this and the that. And we do it now. It's just, mu it's muscle memory. It's complete muscle memory. We don't think about it. We might listen to a program on the radio, sing songs, um, talk on our phone, hands-free, of course, and we're still driving a car. Which is actually safer, from my understanding, when it can come into that subconscious Absolutely. level of, of awareness of, of, you know, movement or driving the car, whatever, is, that's actually significantly safer mm -hmm. than when you're in there consciously, I'm shifting yep. the second <laughs> gear. Exactly. <laughs> so hypnosis is... Is a good thing, yeah. in a sense, yeah, depending the, on how you use it. I, I think guess. you're referring to the bell curve. So it, it starts out with you're consciously um, incompetent. So we use a car as an example. When I, I don't know about you, I use myself. When I got into a car the very first time, I was 16. And I was very incompetent. And I was very aware of being incompetent. So that's consciously incompetent. Then you get to the consciously competent stage. So you've had a few driving lessons, oh, this feels pretty good, I can do this, I can turn quarters and do three-point turns and all that. And then uh, you go over to sort of looking at it as a bell curve, you go across the top and come down the other side. And that would be um, unconsciously incompetent because it hasn't really taken 
full effect yet. You know, it's not a muscle memory yet. You're building that. And then when you've built that muscle memory, you've got unconsciously competent. So you've got it. It's like mm -hmm. riding a bike. You, don't, you know, even if you haven't ridden a bike for five years, but you've learned, you learned previously how to ride a bike, you can get back on the bike after maybe 10 or 15 minutes. You, you're unconsciously competent. So you're riding the bike, talking to your friends, whatever, and your muscle memory has taken over at that point. Is there any, some, there's like conversation around like deep practice, you know, there's different maybe efficacies of mm -hmm. practice that might expedite your journey along Absolutely. the belt curve. Is there anything that you can speak on around that? Mm. is huge. Yeah, right. You're huge. Yeah. Because we've learned um, over the years that many well, many athletes have been taught this, and we've got the feedback from them. So, for example, I'll use Tiger Woods as an example. He, when he was really at the top of his game, he said in an interview uh, to somebody, he explained, they said, well, how do you approach golf? You know, how do you approach it that you get such great results? And he said, oh, that's easy. I make, I make the hole really big in my mind, mm -hmm. and I bring the green really close to me. And it was like, oh, wow, okay. So it's not <laughs> this huge space between him standing at the tee and getting it in the hole because he's visualized it being much closer. And what we've learned from the mind and neuroplasticity and all of this, which is quite amazing stuff, is that the mind doesn't differentiate between what is real and vividly imagined. You can vividly imagine something and it feels like it really happened, right? So how to use this? Um, so what athletes do now is they do what Tiger Woods does for whatever their sport is. Um, like hurdle jumpers uh, will lower the hurdle in their mind. And the real, the real point of this is, and I'm sure your listeners are with me already, is you don't have to actually be there on the golf course. You don't actually have to be on the, on the track. You can be somewhere else and vividly imagine yourself doing it and creating that muscle memory without physically doing it. Yeah. And that's what I think is really cool about the brain. Yeah. And that's what NLP does. It's, it's a, another, another sort of subtitle uh, of it is modeling excellence. So you find the person that does it really well, you find out what their strategy is. Um, sometimes you can't, you can't ask them, but you can watch them. So you can model it, you can unpack it. So, and that's when posture really comes into play. Because when you model somebody that is successful, and you model their physiology and their posture, um, you'll notice that they don't walk apologetically out in front of people. They walk confidently, confidently in front of people. Mm. And they usually have their head up. They just look at the difference between successful people, whatever that means to you. I'm not saying rich, because I, I don't think that is the level of success yeah, we're talking someone about. Someone that's good at shooting but free throws, that yeah, could be successful. Like how do they move up to the court to yes. make that happen? They're at the top of their field. So what are they doing? Look at them. How do they, how do they walk? How do they, um, do they, are they slow? Are they fast? And, and this is a, a little sidebar, but, because um, I do a lot of work with people that want to be better presenters. Somebody interviewed uh, Barack Obama and said, you're one of the greatest orators of our time. You've got, uh, you've got this ability to just seem to say things off the cuff and they just sound so intelligent and, you know, it's meaningful. And it was, I loved his answer because he said, it's the pause. 
which is my big message these days. It's a remember to look up and remember to pause. We don't do that enough. And he said, when I pause, it makes me look more intelligent. Um, but it, what it's actually doing is giving me that nanosecond to download some information. And it also aids your breathing because a lot of us talk really fast. Don't breathe, breathe at the top of our lungs. So I've just done it. It gives us a chance to pause, slow down and get a much better result. Hmm. I could have a whole practice just sitting across from a person and saying, slow down, slow down. Slow I think that was what our session was about. Yeah, And it would make a, a huge difference to them. There was a just funny little story um, in my training. I learned, I heard this story. There was this woman that wanted to lose weight, and she heard about this place in Thailand to go lose weight. This was years ago, and she paid like ten thousand dollars or whatever for this thirty-day um, coaching. And but they didn't tell her what it was. So what it was is every time she had a meal, she had somebody, a companion, sit across from her, and he or she literally banged their fists on the table and said, slow down, slow down, because we eat so unconsciously mm. that the food doesn't get a chance to get to the stomach and the message get to the brain to turn our switch off, our full switch off, so people overeat. I wanted to take a quick moment and thank our sponsor, Health IQ, for supporting this podcast. Health IQ is a life insurance company, but not just any life insurance company. They focus their efforts towards people that are living healthy lifestyles. If you are a runner, or cyclist, weightlifter, or just generally paying attention to the quality of food that you're eating, you should not be paying the same rate for life insurance. So you can jump on to Health IQ, like the letters IQ.com slash align to support the show and see if you qualify for one of their plans. They are one of the fastest growing life insurance companies with over $5 billion in coverage and they save their customers up to 33% on their plans. As I mentioned, the reason they can do this is because they take into account the quality of life that you lead. If you're investing in your health, you should be acknowledged for that in your life insurance policy. It's exactly what Health IQ does for you. So see if you qualify, jump on to healthiq.com slash align. Health IQ is in the letters iq.com slash align. Here we go. Back to the show. There's a really good book called The Body Keeps the Score. Have you ever heard that no, before? No, I like that. Well, even just the title is fine enough. Yeah. You know, and so just something for people to kind of like meditate on. It's like you might think you're getting away with something. Mm. You know, or it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm just going to eat this bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, I and mean, it's like, it's fine. Like, I mean, I'm an athlete. I'll get over it. It's okay. You know, or I'm just not going to get enough sleep. Or I'm going to be around this toxic relationship. Or I'm going to not treat myself, you know, to the highest form, whatever that is. And we, we, we've maybe hypnotized ourselves into believing that we can kind of just push through that. We have. But I think that at a cellular level, the body really does keep the score. It does. You it know? really does. I love that. And I, I, I've not heard it put that way, but I say, as I think I said to you earlier, this life is not a dress rehearsal. Mm. We, don't, we don't get do-overs, you know? And, and smoking is a really good example of what you just said, because when people are young, right. they think, well, I'll, I'll give it up. I know I'm going to give it up. But not yet. I'm still young, and I've still got some time, and the damage probably. And they may not say all of this, but this is what they're what's what they're thinking. And then they may get to their 30s or 40s and start thinking, you know, I feel pretty terrible when every now every morning I get up and I'm coughing or whatever. And the, but the body has kept the score, mm. definitely. <clears throat> and some damage has been done. And even if it's how it's affected your skin, maybe the internal stuff heals, but externally, 
you have the, the battle scars of smoking for 20 years. Is there anything that you've noticed that your body kept the score on that you were at maybe at one time thought you could be smarter than? Worry. Yes. Right. Yeah. Worry creates anxiety and uh, it, it downloads chemicals like uh, adrenaline and cortisol, which are great for certain situations, but not on a daily basis because it, it increases everything, the heart rate, the blood pressure, everything else. So if you continue to do that over and over and over again, your adrenal system will just collapse and you'll go into adrenal fatigue or adre adrenal failure, which is like the worst. And that's when you just feel like you can't move, you can't make a decision because you're just overwhelmed by, by all of this adrenaline. And you hear the word, your adrenal systems, all this adrenaline's been coursing through your body because you're worrying about stuff that's not even going to happen. All the what ifs. Um, and that is my daily practice, to stop the what ifs. And I remind myself a lot to be in this moment, to breathe in this moment, to not leave this moment until that's naturally gone to the next moment. Is there reoccurring worries that pop up that you're like, oh, hello, friend? Well, I'm a parent, so need I say more? Having children is a constant worry. Right. When they're tiny, it's a worry. You know, are they going to grow up healthy and are they going to be smart? Are they going to have a good brain? Are they going to be kind? All of those things. And now mine are fairly grown up, and um, there are other kinds of worries, you know, because hmm. it's a tricky world at the moment. Employment-wise and um, politically, which I won't go into. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's a very challenging time. I've been around for a while, and this to me is one of the more challenging times I can remember. Because we have the internet that just spreads everything so quickly. It's interesting hearing that because I, I I'm under the illusion that everyone thinks that their time is the most challenging mm -hmm. time. And so it's kind of interesting, like, okay, talk to someone that's, that's been around a little longer. It's like, no, seriously, this time's pretty fucked up. <laughs> it's, what, I, I think what, I, what I'm, and this is just my opinion, what I'm perceiving is the insidiousness of what's going on. It's not like big stuff. It's yeah. not being broadcast. It's not like war and bombs and this. It's just the little stuff that, that's going on every day that's eroding a lot of the good work we've done in the past 50 years for equality for all kinds of people. Mm. Yeah. And I'm feeling it as a woman. I'm feeling the inequality of what's going on. There's a, do you know Anti-Fragile, the book? No, nope. you're Talib. introducing me to all these lovely new books. Uh, this, is a, this is a really important one. This is a good one. But one of the, co the concepts of that is that uh, we actually culturally or a system needs these little explosions mm -hmm. in order to course correct. Mm -hmm. You know, and so some of that, maybe what you're feeling or maybe what a lot of you know, culturally we're feeling is that that deeper insidious kind of shift that might be leading to all of a sudden eventually, if, it, if you don't have those little skirmishes, then eventually it leads to something nuclear. Yeah. You know, no, I agree with you. I, I just find this one particularly um, mean and mm. unpleasant. And you know about sympathetic resonance and how we if we put ourselves in an environment, we begin to resonate with the feelings, the energy that's going on. So, for example, I know when I came to California, I felt incredibly lighter and happier because of the sunshine, right. you know, and people tend to be more upbeat and smile. And it's not a criticism. It's just an observation. I lived in London for years and people tend to not walk around like that because we don't have a lot of sunshine. So what's happening in the current political situation is there's a very, I can say anything I want resonance. This is very mean, um, gloves are off kind of thing. Mm. And 
I, I agree with you. I think we have to go very far in one direction to shift that in a, in a better direction. I just find this very painful and very, um, I don't think we're getting a break. It's like every day, all day, every day, all day, there's something, something going on. Yeah. And it's relentless and it's exhausting. And this is not good for people. This is, again, adrenaline and cortisol. And we want to be downloading things like dopamine and serotonin and all those happy chemicals, endorphins and things. There's not a lot of joy, so we have to make our own joy. Yeah. It seems like we have a, and this is something I wonder, because you know, when, I, when I grew up, it was, it was pre-internet and all that stuff, so I guess I have a little bit of a sense of this. But um, we have this strong resistance towards boredom. Mm -hmm. You know, and yep. so now we have these, and this is like before you might have these skirmishes where you're like, I'm really bored, you know, I got to, and you're like, okay, I'm going to make a paper airplane. Whereas now we have like Instagram, yep. Facebook, yep. Twitter, you know, and you just continually kind of keep yourself in that, like barely getting into, you know, maybe actually creating a change because you just always kind of top off the dopamine or whatever mm -hmm. metaphor, metaphor, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, or transmitter you want to use. Absolutely. Every like you get on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram is like dopamine, dopamine. But it goes back to what I was saying earlier. So thank you for bringing the loop back. Mm. It creates loneliness because the communication is 7% if it's that. You know, you're, sometimes just, people just put a picture up, right? They don't even put any text under it. So you don't even, on Instagram, that could just be a picture. Yeah. You'd like that or not. They might put some hashtags on it. But there we go again. We go back to the loneliness. So we're, we've got this incredible world with this incredible technology and all this information. But, and you know I'm very much about touch because it's one of the methodologies I use, which is a touching methodology. Havening. Havening techniques, which we may talk about in a minute. Yeah. But we're removing that aspect. And I notice with my clients, and this is not in any way meant to sound creepy because I get their permission to haven them, touching them, because we're releasing the delta waves. Um, that's, the, that's the goal of it, to get them in a safe place to help them you know, remove traumatic emotions, events. But what's so interesting is I will start the process with their permission, and I then realize that they haven't been touched in a kind way for maybe years, and they mm. tell me this. And even just touching them, this, uh, this type of... Uh, therapy, they all automatically begin to feel better about themselves because mm. they haven't been touched. And that, that, that's, again, that's heartbreaking that we're walking around or sometimes not even walking around. We're just in our bubbles, in our boxes, on our laptops, on our phones. And we can go through a whole day and not speak to a person, but communicate with them in what we think is communication. Mm. And that, to me, is what is eroding our society yeah and in the culture that we live in western culture it's um i feel an insecurity i mean i'm getting a lot better with it these days apparently but uh an insecurity around contact around touch you know it's like does this mean i'm a homosexual or something mm -hmm. if i like touch my bro mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so it's like touch is sex yep you know, so it's like non-sexualized contact. We just don't really have, and it's like dogs, by dogs learning to kind of nibble on things, mm -hmm. they, it's, they, they kind of train their bite reflex in a way. Yeah. You know, so then they actually, they have this full spectrum of grasps, grasp with their mouths. Mm -hmm. You know, but if you don't allow them to, to nibble and bite and all that stuff, then all they, they might not be as versatile with their capacity to, to, to chew and not bite. Yep. 
Well, that's and a great metaphor. And it's also, I mean, we are, we're just not connecting with each other. And now, I know I keep going on about this, but this is huge. This is absolutely huge. So the flip side of that, the real downside of it is fear of intimacy. And some people can't actually do it. They can have sex, but they can't be intimate. Yeah. And that is right. where the real connection with another person is. And I have a lot of clients that struggle with intimacy. They can go through all the other motions, the dating and the sex and the, some marriages are bereft of, empty of intimacy. How many people realize that? Not many. Yeah. Because we've normalized a lot of this by just doing the same thing every day. Right. Going on Instagram, going on Facebook. We're curating our lives all the time. I mean, I curate my life on Instagram, I'm sure. Sure. I don't put pictures of me getting up in the morning with my hair all over the place and, you know, feeling ugly or unattractive or whatever. I make sure I get the best. I don't do a lot of pictures of me, by the way, but I do a, every Tuesday I do something called Takeaway Tip Tuesday. So I'd love your listeners to follow me on Instagram if they want, because I give a really, hopefully very useful tip, all kinds of things, um, in 60 seconds. Mm. And can I plug myself here for a minute? It's yeah, Mishpara. That's my name on Instagram, M-I-C-H-P-A-R-A. I just do ab shots on my Instagram. Uh, of so course. if you guys want well, to see my abs, you've got the abs. You can I check don't. it out. <laughs> you got to have them. You see, so you're curating your life. <laughs> Another morning, taking a poop, shooting the abs. <laughs> exactly, but you don't show the poop shot, do you? No, no, just abs up. <laughs> exactly, just, yeah, yeah, no, that's no, no. my point. I don't realize I'm actually taking a poop. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's the abs. ultimate curating your life, right? <laughs> On Instagram. That was a deep metaphor. I got it. I wasn't I intending it. it to be, but... <laughs> <laughs> Ab shots. Oh. Notice I'm blushing right now as I'm saying See, that. See, he is. I kind of got myself in deep with blushing. that. As I was saying, I was like, ooh, poop. I don't want to say poop. But you see, there's a great, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh. there's a great example of physiology. You can't hide what you're feeling and you're blushing. So what is that feeling? What is What does that represent? Yeah, right. I, just the, the, the taboo is around poop. Is there a bit poop. of shame there? Sound, I, don't know that it, I don't know that it's shame of my own poop. I think it's more shame of awareness that this is being recorded. Right. And... I've listened back to it enough times to be like, oh, I sound kind of like an, like an idiot. Is this, is this going to be one of those, those podcasts that's going to be cut out in six months' time because you sounded like no, an I don't, asshole? I don't, oh, that's a good, I should start doing that. No, people, there's a, there's the, yeah, there's one, I put, I put the Wim Hof, do you know Wim oh, Hof Oh, God, is? love him, love him. Hard. So I put his back on into the recent ones, yeah. and I listened to it, I listened through it again, and uh, it's really embarrassing, actually, because I like to have him on there, you know, so people listening, this is, you know, I'm sure you probably already noticed, but um, I'd like to have him on there because he got knocked off, Yeah. but upon, it's like, you know, recent, 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 then all of a sudden, one from two years ago. Mm. And it's just, it's really interesting to be able to listen back to that. I'm just like, God damn. I've got a great little tip for you, NLP, mm. okay? We're going to do a reframe around that. That's an NLP word. Yeah, so ready. instead of it being failure, not that you use the word, but let's say you felt like, oh, that was terrible six months ago. I never want to do that again. Instead of looking at it like that, what if it was just feedback? Does that feel different? Yeah. Yeah, I can receive yeah. feedback on yeah. that. Because that's all it is. We never fail. We're in workshops throughout our life. We're in different workshops, right? And we get feedback. Yeah. And that is a big, big part of NLP is to forgive yourself and to say, 
I haven't failed. What, what did I learn from that? What is my takeaway from that? And what did you learn from those six months? Have you changed anything? Oh my God. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, even in this conversation, I feel like so far things are pretty, you know, pretty good. I think I'm proud of this conversation so far. Good. You know, I'm like, yeah, listen to this, this is, this is great. Um, but there, there are moments, there's this, this interesting awareness of knowing that it will be listened to, you know, hopefully lots and lots of times for years mm -hmm. and years and years. Yep. You know, and, and there's, there's awareness of like, oh, there's that little, you know, like, like the moment previously where I said, this is about me. I was joking, but there was a little glitch there. Could you feel it? Oh, yeah, no. There's some truths are said in jest, aren't they? So yeah, It's right. about me, ha, ha, ha. But yeah, right. So, this, so there's, a, there's a little bit of a moment of like, oh, that didn't really feel good. Yeah. You know, and it, it was but like, I knew what you a, meant. It, of course, it was meant as a joke and it was like, it was pretty apparent that it was a joke, but nonetheless, there's just those little, so all of those, I felt physiologically like in my guts yeah. as I made that, this is about me joke. It kind of made my guts go, yeah. which is, uh, we've got a belly brain. So that's, that's really, cause our, our gut is the best first place to go with any decision. Cause we've been with it longer than any other person in our lives, mm. right? The gut. And if something doesn't feel good, I would suggest not doing it. Mm -hmm. And what we don't, we check in with it and then we ignore it and we wonder why. You know, have you ever played like a multiple choice game and Trivial Pursuit or whatever and, and they ask you the question, you go, A, A, it's A. And then you start thinking for a moment, you go, mm, maybe it's B, it could be C. And then you change what you said the first time, you go, it's C. And they go, no, the answer was A. And you're like, damn, I knew it was A. Why didn't I listen to myself? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. It's that kind of thing. And we ignore it at our peril all the time. We know when something doesn't feel right. And we still do it. We do it anyway. Hmm. I mean, think back at, I'm sure you're listening, think back to people they dated and they knew right from the start it wasn't, it wasn't a good idea. There's some people that are more, uh, you could say like clairvoyant, mm -hmm. like the literal definition, whatever the literal definition, yeah. I think, I think it would be accurate. Um, where it seems like they have less static in their perception, mm -hmm. you know, in, in like NLP terms, it's like your internal representation. I That's think it right. is, yeah. you know, it's, it seems, so it seems like, like the, 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 they just have a clearer frequency. It's more clairvoyant, yep. you know, and there's some other people that just have a lot more baggage, you know, and so they're not, I wonder that kind of that, that static between actually feeling, okay, this is true. This is coming from my gut versus I don't even know where my gut is. Do you know, is there any kind of like, Absolutely. I don't know, journey to your gut? Yeah, and, and uh, we've touched on it already. Um, well, the first thing is when, to answer that is, it would be good to work with somebody who does NLP that could help you discover uh, and get in touch with yourself. So discover your, your submodalities, how you represent the world, right? Because it's fascinating. Well, you know, we all think, as I said earlier, we're in this same reality and we're all sharing the world in the same way and we're not. I personally am visual. There's visual, auditory, kinesthetic, um, gustatory and olfactory. Those are the, the five senses. And that's very, very big piece of NLP. So Let's take olfactory smell and gustatory taste out of it because they, they're not always factor, they don't always factor into everyday things. Um, but visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. So when I say kinesthetic, it's your internal feelings. Um, so when you work with somebody to f help them find out how they represent their world, um, I will listen to their language. So I'm listening to the words they're using. So if they're using visual words, like it appears to be, I can see it. Um, 
and more like that, I would also be watching them visually and seeing what they're doing with their eyes when I ask them a question. So are they looking for answers? And that's a whole other big piece of NLP, which I can't go into at the moment because I need a chart to show people what that looks like. But they're called eye accessing cues. So you look certain places when you're remembering something or when you're creating something. And so to give you an example of, of this, I had a, a friend who called me up and he said um, he's, he was managing a team of people. And this is how NLP helped him. And we didn't have a session. I just gave him a really quick tip. And he said, I have this one this one employee that I give her lists of things to do and she never accomplishes them. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I know he's visual. He's a designer and he is very visual. So for him, a list is, it's visual, isn't it? You write it down and you see it and then you cross things off. However, when I found out a little bit more about her, I said, how does she spend most of her time communicating? He said, on the phone. And I was like, okay. So call her up and give her the list. And what my point is here is that this is not 100% every single time. We don't represent the world visually or auditorily, as in her case. Um, but it's our predominant and most comfortable place to go. So it's like a language. So imagine that my friend, who's the manager, spoke Italian, and his employee, employee spoke French. Now, it's a Latin-based language. There's going to be lots of similar words, but not exactly the same language. So if you want to achieve a better communication with somebody, you find out what their representational systems are. So are they visual? Are they auditory? Are they kinesthetic? And you can watch them. You can listen to their words. You can see how they move their eyes when they're asked a question. And then, and this is the really cool part, you speak to them in their language. So my friend, being Italian and her being French, um, theoretically, um, started speaking French to her, i.e., he started calling her up and saying, Jane, I'd like you to do these five things today. And then that was her decision how she kept tabs on that. Did mm. she write it down or did she just remember it? And you can pick this up from people pretty quick. Absolutely. Just little thing, like, like an example, be like, I, f I feel you or I hear you yeah. or I see what you're saying. Yeah. Is there any other kind of ways to start reading into well, that? Well, the eye accessing cues are big. They're really big. Um, as I said, I can delve into that a little bit more, but I am right-handed and this, again, is not a perfect science, but I will tend to remember things by looking up and to the left because I go to the other side of my brain, the other hemisphere. Now, if I was left-handed, the way this would normally work is to rem when you're remembering something visually, you'd go up to your right. However, I don't want to get people confused at this point. So if you ask me a question like, what color are my mother's eyes? Me being right-handed, I would look up to my left and imagine my mother and her eyes are blue. But if you said to me, um, uh, what, what is a... Imagine a dog with uh, a green dog with the uh, pink spots. I would probably go up to my right because I've got to create that. It doesn't exist yet in my brain. It's not mm -hmm. a memory. And the same with auditorily. If you ask a person a question, um, like what is your favorite song? They will probably go midline because that's where their ears are. And they would look to the left because they're remembering their favorite song. Um, and if you ask them a question like, well, can you imagine uh, yourself singing uh, the Star Spangled Banner in, uh, in, a, in an auditorium somewhere? They would go probably to their right because they haven't done it yet. So that could be a lie cue. A what? A lying cue. Yeah, I didn't want to bring that word into it, but definitely. 
Definitely Dis so. Dishonest, misleading. Absolutely. So this is a, <laughs> this is a great Liar. little exercise to do. I'm, I'm going to say, especially with politicians that are being interviewed on television, turn the sound down. If you, this is a great yeah. little fun game. Record it if you can. So, you know, press your DVR, whatever, record it. And then um, don't watch it. You're recording it, have the sound down, and just watch their faces and what they're doing with their hands and how they're being asked. Now, again, you won't know whether they're right or left-handed or they're ambidextrous, which brings a whole other dimension to it because then it's quite difficult to know this. Mm. But tend to look at a good giveaway is um, what wrist their watch is on because I'm right-handed, so I use my right hand. I so, yeah, I'm right hand. I use my right hand to put my watch on my left arm. That's that's a small little giveaway, not not perfect. But when you um, are so you wa you watch you record it and watch it with the sound down, and you notice what they're saying, without hearing what they're saying. You're noticing it. So mm. there's a there's a visual word right there to notice, and then you play it back. And you might even want to write some notes down because this is a great way to, to, to start getting in touch with this um, ability to read people. It's probably a muscle just like anything yeah. else. And then listen to it. Maybe if you've taken some notes, think, look at it and go, I think he said that was the answer to that, but it doesn't, it's not congruent. That's another big word we use in NLP is being congruent. So your mind, body, and words are all connected and they're believable and they're authentic. But when somebody's lying, and you caught that one. That was really good. So let's say you said to me, what color are your mother's eyes? And I looked up to my right, because I'm making it up. I, they're green, you know. And this is what people do when they lie. Yes, it's, again, not a perfect science. But they will tend to create something that doesn't exist, because they're creating a lie. They're creating a fact, in inverted commas, that never happened. Hmm and they will not go to their remembered place in their mind. They will go to their, let me create it, let me see what it would look like. It hasn't happened yet. Does that make sense? Yeah, so if you look at your dominant hand side, that is, you call it divergent thinking. I learned this mm -hmm. term recently. I like versus that. Versus convergent thinking. Okay. So convergent thinking is when we're, it's like ABC, Scantron, you know, mm -hmm. something that you're going to memory. Whereas divergent thinking, you're diverging away from, you know, what you already have cemented in. Right. And you're going into like more creative thought. I the like reason that. I was, the reason I was going to, I was going to, I was wanted to mention that was, um, there's actually, and I'll get back to the other thing, but there's actually, uh, research shows that walking is helpful for divergent thinking. Mm -hmm. It's helpful to induce more creativity. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're doing convergent thinking, like you're sitting down and taking a test, yep. walking can actually be a little bit distracting. So I'm all like huffing and puffing, like you gotta move, it's for your creativity yeah. and everything, which is true, but it doesn't just make everything better. There yeah. is something to kind of really just dropping in and being in place and doing yeah. the thing. And I can give you an example of that in a slightly different way. Let's say you're, you're stuck. Writers have writer's block and all that. Just sit with a ball, uh, something that feels good, round and smooth, and just throw it from your right hand to your left hand and back again mm. and back. And what you're doing is you're crossing hemispheres of the brain because we, we tend to, again, be predominant. Some people are extremely logical and they go right brain, and some people are very creative, and I know this is a simplistic explanation. So if you want to bring the two together, if you're like stuck in the sort of intellectual part of it, and not able to get to open up the creative part, take the ball and just sit there and just relax. You can close your eyes, put on some great music and just throw the ball back 
and forth. And it's amazing how it opens up the brain because mm. you're crossing hemispheres. And that's what I'm thinking when you said that, I think walking might have something to do with that. Mm. It might open up because you're using both sides of the hemispheres of the brain. Interesting. Yeah, the whole conversation around how inseparable or congruent our physiology, our body, our, our movement mm. is to our thought patterning. Mm. It's just, I'm like trying to grasp it every day and it's I'm huge. still not even close. <laughs> I can take a person from a bad posture sitting and just get them to guide them into a better posture and every single time they begin to feel better. Mm -hmm. It's just that one little thing. That's because it, it's changing their state, right? It's and then, changing their physiology, which is connected to their brain. And they begin to look, if you're sitting crumpled up and you suddenly sit up straighter, you're going to breathe better, aren't you? Because you're opening up the lungs, the solar plexus, you're just going to breathe better because you have more, you're not compressing all the organs on top of each other mm. by sitting in a crumpled little state, like a little child. We should do this again. That was really fun. These are like my favorite conversations ever. Oh, this is your favorite conversation today, right? <laughs> I just had one right before this. I enjoy this one actually, I would say quite more. Oh, um, I'm flattered. Thank yeah. you. Are we done? That went so fast. I know. I go, wow. <laughs> Didn't even get started. I know. Well, we should do it again. Yes. This, this is really fun. But if like people follow on me on Instagram, in. I give little tips every day and cool. mind. Is that the best place? That's the best contact point? Um, I'm, I'm at the moment, I'm working with Deepak Chopra. I've got a channel on his um, digital wellness platform called Jio.com, which mm. is spelled J-I-Y-O.com. Do you know Travis Brewer? He's another, he's a good buddy. He's also yes. been on here. He's, yes. He also does like parkour movement related randomness yeah. on there. Well, I, I'm, I'm the healing haven, it's called, a wellness expert. Oh, and cool. In fact, I'm going tomorrow to do some filming with Deepak, which is quite exciting. Cause oh, good feel. Talk about energy. I mean, that man's energy is just beautiful cool he did a he did a last night in beverly hills he did a meditation which is great but anyway i digress so um instagram is really good i'm on facebook michelle spelled m-i-c-h-e-l-e -E, my mother's choice not mine paradise really my name um and i also on twitter and uh what have i missed linkedin and where's, youtube where's I have paradise a YouTube come from um the story goes that we're greek and it's Baradisis. And when mm. they came to America, it was too difficult to pronounce, so they took the S off. So right. there you go. They're from Crete. I have the Greek roots as well. Do you? Yeah. I we thought so. Are, are, uh, like my, my, the Greek family, I'm, 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 what am I? Probably less than half. I don't know, 30-something, whatever percent mm -hmm. Greek. But the Greek is strong. Like, like in any Greek is strong Greek in any is, person. Greek is strong. <laughs> kind of wins the day, doesn't it? Yeah. If you have like 2% Greek, you're like, yeah, I think you're Greek. I can, well, I can my see nose it coming is, through. My nose is very Greek. <laughs> <laughs> certainly won the day. There. Yeah. But they have a, they've got like a little hotel in Ireland called Kos. Oh, yeah. And so I, I need to go out there. It's, it's, it's been on oh, the agenda for the last 30 years. So. You must. This life is not a dress for her. This life is not. I just got to go to the to Cuss. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks so much. Thank you. Really fun. Enjoy it. Loved time. it. Over and out. Align Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Some ways that you can support this podcast, one of which you can pick up an Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band. It comes along with a door anchor and a carrying case and a video guide on how to mobilize those joints and integrate that body of yours. Really great stuff. You can be found at AlignTherapy.com and also on Amazon.com. Um, I wanted to thank 
thank once again Health IQ for supporting this podcast. Health IQ is a life insurance company that focuses towards people that are taking care of their bodies. So any type of athlete, folks that are paying attention to nutrition, pretty much anybody listening to this podcast, uh, they focus on lowering rates for you because you deserve it. You get up to 33% lower rates than the standard. You can see if you qualify at healthiq.com slash align. That's health IQ is in the letters iq.com slash align. If you're a healthy individual and you got a family or some folks that you want to know that they're taking care of, if you're not around, that's the way to do it. Healthiq.com slash align. Um, thank you also so much for utilizing the Amazon affiliate link on the right-hand sidebar of the podcast page. Bookmark that thing. Anytime you purchase some crap on Amazon, purchase that crap through that link. We get percentage of it. Costs you nothing. And... I think that's enough. Thank you guys so much for reviews on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Have a beautiful 